Yeah. Oh, yeah. Smoking on gas, got me slung. Chasing Z's, chasing Z's. I've been high up off my ass. Magic beans, magic beans. Flying solo, Mr. Dolo. What you mean? What you mean? Grab control and make it time. Do you read? Do you read? Smoking on gas, got me slung. Every day, never take a break, still myself Addicted to the gold, only focused on wealth Still slide to my nine to five Just to buy the time till I'm on the rise Passing off, I'm not asking off This ain't frat rap, tell the haters fuck off I'm shining, so blinding That's a vibe who got no diamonds Broke boy, got nothing in my wallet Spend on my green, on the green quite often Still flawless, stand tall and Say fuck it to me, face calling Time to ride the wave, override the shade Inhale the haze, have a lovely day Hey everybody, it's Gaz. Welcome to another episode of Bizarro Aficionado. I would tell you what episode this is, but I don't even know what day it is. <laughs> <laughs> so joining me today oh is Lobo from the, uh, t- do I say from the podcast? From Connecticut. Or, from Connecticut. Yes, <laughs> where he is still from. <laughs> How you doing, bud? I'm doing all right. We're making a go of things here, you know? Yeah, man. You could definitely be... Uh, it could definitely be worse, but there's no sense in, uh, you know, teetering on that. <laughs> Don't worry, we have murder hornets now. I was just going to say, murder hornets. Perfect. Oh, my God. I don't know if you uh, if you saw that meme going around that says, I don't know, every hornet's a murder hornet if you're that kid from my girl. Yeah, that's what I wrote back to you. I have an EpiPen. So right, every right. It's a murder hornet for me. I've got an Epi. Yep. I've got a pen. Oh, no. Oh. Epi pen pop you back don't in die. <laughs> You've got oh. Anna. You've got Flaxus. Uh. Annie Flaxus. <laughs> oh my god, it's hard to breathe, no pun intended. Oh no. Uh, it's just getting uh, it's just getting started. Oh boy. But we got a Shoot good it. show today. Kelly Benaski is gonna be on with us and yeah. uh, she's gonna talk about uh her books and true crime author, and she's also a uh, advocate for women on death row. So we'll be talking about very naughty ladies, and uh, <laughs> maybe some serial killers, and I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I'll have to follow these twists and turns. There's a lot of twists and turns. Oh and, yeah. And uh, you know, I was going to say, you know, may, this might not be an appropriate one to play at work, but none of you people go to work. Well, sitting, some of well, I mean, the people that aren't getting paid much go to work. Everyone else is oh, at home. Oh, that hits home. Uh, I know, doesn't it? Oh, I'm sure glad I'll make more on unemployment than I did as a frontline EMT. Yeah, for real. Great. That's not a kick in the dick hole, is it? I'm like, why did I do this to begin with? Wow. Uh, I'm like unemployed or something. Wow. Oh, if, dude, it, if it ever like, happens, it takes like four to six weeks now to get it so it's yeah dude it's, yeah, it's crazy 
Man, I'll be dead through it's round crazy. two by the time that I get my unemployment for round one. <laughs> be dead. <laughs> oh, Indeed. That's, that's, that's a good outlook. Right? <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, let's well, uh, let's get into this interview, and uh, we'll see you guys on the other side. We're sitting down here with Kelly Benaski. Uh, she's a true crime writer and inmate liaison and prison reform activist from Tennessee, one of my favorite places in the world. Her history covering Ooh. crime for newspapers and experience with magazines and copywriting. Kelly owns the popular blog, thewomancondemned.com, where she showcases women on death row and those serving life through their own artwork, words, via prison visits, letters, and phone calls. She's appeared on television shows, snapped on ID, as well as a multitude of documentaries. So we uh, welcome you, Kelly, and thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. Hey. So it's... Uh, the people, uh, my viewers probably haven't heard you. You've been on Project Archivist uh, what, two times, I think, and uh, they always end up being, times, yeah, yeah, being my favorite show. So I wanted to to bring you on and introduce you to my audience. So, well, thank you. I'm excited. I always get the most interesting people from from uh, Project Archivist. I get a lot of um, emails and uh, Twitter comments and stuff <laughs> after I do their show every time. If you can get my audience to actually speak other than just in the Facebook group and hint people, that would be great. <laughs> That'd be great. I'm really, um, yeah, I'm open to readers and anybody that wants to talk about true crime. Absolutely. Just, I'll I, talk to anybody. <laughs> and it, you work with women on death row and your blog tells a lot of their stories. Now, is there anyone kind of in particular that sticks out above other people that are is could be there unjustly or anything like that you're really advocating for? Um, no. <laughs> I mean, it, but that tells a lot, too. I, I don't think anybody I, I'm dealing with currently is innocent. None, none of them, no. None of them say they are either. Not Really? I mean, every, to a degree. You know, it wasn't my fault or whatever, but nobody's claiming absolute innocence. Except for Shauna Ford. Oh, okay. But well. she's, she's guilty. Hell, yeah. And <laughs> so, why do the women on no, no. death row and, and female killers always seem to be the less talked about in media? You know, There's like, fewer of them. You know, yeah. there's... There's women kill at a rate of like one to eleven or something like that, you know. You just unless they're just batshit crazy broads, you know. No, it takes oh, no. for a woman <laughs> to kill. You have to really stress the bitch out before she will go to those lengths. That's just how women yeah. are built. Unless you know there's something wrong, some kind of mental snafu somewhere. I think we're all getting to the the verge of that at this point in current situation. Yeah, a lot more women killers out there after this, I'm telling you. That. I know. Well, yeah, I would be I, surprised if there wasn't. Luckily, there's no woman living here with me, or she would have been the first for sure. I, I have four of them in my house, and I'm still taking in breath for now. <laughs> so far. Knock on wood, huh? Yeah. Right. Definitely. Now, you, when you advocate for these 
for these ladies? How does that happen? How does, uh, how do they, do they just kind of, they hear of you and get in touch with you and then you try? Yeah. A lot of times that's what happens or, um, somebody's mom or some, you know, relative Mm -hmm. will get a hold of me and say, blah, 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 this is happening at this prison, you know, or we, they don't have this or, you know, what have you. And, um, other times, I seek it out, you know, something will bother me. I'll, I'll I'll find out something's happening somewhere and I'll look for a group to join. That's already doing something about it that I can help with. You know, one of my favorites is um, aid to inmate mothers. I love that organization. They help with so many ways. They, they, um, they let uh, the mothers read books on tape video and then they'll bring it to the children, you know, so they can have, story time with their moms and they advocate for pregnant women in prisons and stuff like that. That's just one of the best groups closest to my heart anyway. I think there's a, there's a disconnect. Unfortunately, you know, uh, there's going to be some people that are hearing this that that are immediately going to have that knee jerk reaction of, well, they're criminals. They shouldn't be doing that. You know, they shouldn't be allowed that, but there's still people, you know, there's still people. When I started this, I really thought and, you know, that our criminal justice system was about reform. That's that's what I thought. Rehabilitation, mm. you know, that that's really what I thought. And it wasn't until I, I worked in the field as probation officer for many years that I was like, well, that ain't what, you know, it's about money and, mm-hmm. and yeah. little else, little else. Just recently, what, my best-selling book ever was Taking Tory. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a little girl that was uh, kidnapped and raped by a couple. The girl mm-hmm. was named Carrie Lynn McClintock. It's a Canadian case. Mm-hmm. And she worked with me on the book, but she she wasn't happy about it. She didn't want anything written about her. She didn't want me to write it because she felt I was too sympathetic. She mm-hmm. wanted somebody to just, you know, call her names or whatever. And that's oh. just saying how I roll. So it was hard to get her to help me. But we developed a little bit of a relationship, and then after the book was written, I never heard from her again. And I tried a couple times, but getting mail to Canadian prisons is, you know, that's a whole other story. So, and then I heard she was moved to, she made headlines once again. She was moved to another uh, prison that was supposedly less, uh, it wasn't called a prison. That's why everybody got their buttholes hurt. Uh. It was called like a <laughs> center or something like that but it was still a prison Prison, but anyway the whole world lost its collective mind and she ended up having to go back to the prison she's at now but just the other day speaking of this topic we're on i got an instagram message from somebody that i didn't know and i looked at it and she said uh it was some gal canadian gal and she said she'd read the book taking tori and she really liked it and um, she said, I really valued your opinion. That was, you know, a different way to go for a true crime book. So I got talking to her and she's a student that works. Um, she she's involved in a group that um, connects learners on the outside with learners on the inside. Oh, OK. And she was paired up with Terry Lynn. So, you know, I was about, I, I wanted to know how she was and everything. And she said, well, the thing is, we're not, we don't know last names and we weren't supposed to talk about each other's lives. Sure. But she recognized her. Hmm. So she knew who she was. And then when the program was over, read the book. But 
she was telling me, you know, and I had never heard of that before. She said, it's got to be in the States, too, but I've never heard of that. And it's not just for, um, you know, like college age people. It's anybody in college. Mm. And I thought that was amazing because, you know, you can share your lives and sort of, I yeah. don't know. I just think it would be an experience. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. But then this girl just happened to recognize her. And what happened with the Tory case? Now, she was, I forget how old she was, but she was kidnapped, and then there was quite a bit to find her, wasn't there, or to find the... uh, Yeah, well, she was kidnapped by Terry Lynn and Michael Rafferty, Mm -hmm. and Terry Lynn was, they were both drug abusers, and he had a long time, long-running fantasy that he wanted to kidnap rape and murder a little girl Ugh. and Terry Lynn forever thought he it was just some ravings of you know drug-induced bs sure but eventually she was so doped up caught up in it she thought you know he just kept saying you won't do it you won't do it and, and she did it and i mean it's, everything horrible you can imagine to happen to a little girl happened to her mm-hmm. and it's heartbreaking yeah Terry Lynn played such a strange part in that whole situation, you know, because she had been abused and, and raped at, around the same age and throughout her life. And she'd been on um, serious drugs since before, you know, double digit ages. Right. Mm. And but she still felt some bit of compassion, not enough to, to you know, rescue her. Right. Exactly. But she was kind to her during the assault, helped her pee, and she was actually the one that killed her because mm. she thought Michael was taking too long and she was going through too much pain or right. she wanted it to end. So she, yeah, she hammered her, put a bag on her and hammered her. Oh, my God. Now, what happened to Michael? Uh, about a year after I wrote that book. So, you know, I tried to get Michael to talk to me, and he refused. Mm-hmm. He would wow. send me a bunch of dirty letters oh, you know, about of what he wanted to do to me and his dick tracing and all that stuff. Oh, but, he's that guy. Oh, yeah. I remember that story. Okay. <laughs> so I just never returned anything. I'm like, oh, God, okay. But obviously he wasn't going to help me out, so that was, you know, I didn't go down that road anymore. But about two years after I wrote that book, I got bombarded. By some freaking nutcase. I, I, he didn't never give me his real name, but he kept saying, I'm in your book. I'm in your book. And I'm like, well, mm. would you like to clarify? You know, I read four books. Right. Could you be more specific? Of people in all four of these books. Can you want to help me out, brother? He said, I'm, you lied about Michael Rafferty. You said this wrong. And he was getting on to me for shit. Like, I mean, granted, I got it wrong. Okay. I should have done better research. But like, that the date was wrong on his birthday, I think, and the date that he moved to a specific town, and I got one of the girlfriend's names wrong, and I was like, what are you telling me this shit for? Right. I mean, okay. You know, I'm sorry. sorry. What do you want from me? I know. <laughs> That's how I felt. But, you know, you get that kind of crap a lot, too. I, I wrote about uh, Josh Wade one time, who is a uh, Alaska serial killer. Oh, yes. Not many people know about him, and I don't know why. That's another fascinating case. He raped and murdered several um, 
not just Eskimo, Indian, Alaska women, but like other women that just happen to be wrong place, wrong time. And I truthfully think this dude blacked this shit out of his mind. Like, or he is a really good actor, which not most of them are not. They just think they are. Oh, okay. Mm. But he just his eyes, his, t- his the timber of his voice. I mean, everything would change wow. when he talked about. It. And when I was reading about the case and researching and stuff, every time he would like the dates where he would murder one of these women, his family and friends and stuff would say, oh, he's in one of the moods, you know, where he's not making sense. He's talking funny out mm. of his ass. You know, I, I don't think he remembers it. He still to this day swears that he didn't do it. But he says he no, he says he did it, but he just doesn't remember it. But what he keeps stressing over and over and over and over is I didn't rape anybody. I didn't rape anybody. Now, he'll admit to killing them, but right. he won't admit to the rape. Huh. And that, that I don't get that. Like well, it could be compartmentalizing and that could be just right. another aspect of his personality. You know, yeah, that, that aspect of his personality yeah. is the one that rapes and the one that he remembers is he's the one that right. kills. Just that part of that fugue state. Huh. Weird. Yeah, he's a weird cat. He, he's another one that um, he had like groupies and I did a YouTube video on one of his letters one time and mm. he found out about it and wrote me a letter and said hey Miss YouTube star and it just, <laughs> he cussed me out and he was like I'm never writing you another letter oh and he called me fat he said you're a fat bitch okay oh, clearly never seen you before right <laughs> that's a bunch of ugly shit about me i don't know and then about a week later i got a a bunch of spam on like my youtube account my instagram just from this one broad and when i looked at her google she was like 200 pounds Mm. and had a big ronald mcdonald orange hairdo and i was like (laughs) and i'm the fat ugly bitch and you got this one out here you know harassing me and she was like, oh, you wish you could have him. He is mine. You stay away from him. Oh don't you God. write him another letter? And I was like, no problem, Holy huh? crap. Did you find no. a lot of these, you know, uh, a lot of the killers had groupies? Or is it just kind of the big stars? Well, no, I was going to say big stars usually don't. Oh, okay. But the smaller, like, statewide, you know, when they're known in their state, now right. those are the killers. Those ones got the groupies from hell. Like oh, right here in my in my state, um, they the Knoxville—I can't remember what they've named those murders—but it was a girl, uh, Shannon, and what was the guy's name? Chris. A couple, and uh, these four people—two, three guys and a girl—kidnapped them and just brutally tortured these people just to to carjack their car. That was okay. That was that's in my book, Voices from Death Row. And I talked to the the major murderer in that of the foursome, Lamericus Davidson. That is a scary motherfucker. (laughs) Man, me and Richard Ramirez was like fucking besties, party partners, you know, I mean, (laughs) compared to the guy, he gave me the creeps. He's dead behind the eyes, that guy. But and he, just, I, he had a couple girls because I did it wrong with him. I mean, I knew I was going to put him in that book. Right. And usually right off the bat, I'm like, hey, I'm Kelly. You're going in this book. You know, do you right. want to help or do you not like it? Whichever one you want to roll with is fine with me. 
Right. But I always, because it bothers me to read true crime and the author never fucking knew the people or never oh, yeah. went out. That bothers me. And there's a major fucking author that is, I'm not going to say his name, oh my God, but I hate him so much. He never, <laughs> never talks to these people. There's a co- I've done a couple shows on one particular topic, and that's what they always say. They're like, never read that book. He didn't even talk to me. He didn't talk to my mom, blah, 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 blah. Wow. It, just, it bothers me. It bothers me. It bothers me. But anyways, I always go out of my way to, to make it known sure. I'm doing this. And I hope that they want to talk to me, and that's always what I say. I always suggest they read my other books because I'm not your typical person, you know. Right. That writes this type of stuff. I have a different type of point of view, sort of. So I didn't do that with him, and I don't know why. I just told him I was a writer, and I'd heard about his case, and I said, I've seen your pictures and I've watched the news reports on YouTube and you are scary as fuck. <laughs> I'm right you, so you can tell me that all this is wrong and you really didn't do it and you're really a nice guy because that's what I want to hear. So he wrote me back and he's like, I'm not scary at all. You know, I'm just really nice guy. And we started talking and I think we probably talked for a year before I was like, well, guess I better, you know, ass up. Yeah. So it was a it was a good year and he you know, a lot of them will try to get sexy with you, you know, and be like, You are the woman for me, you know, behind these bars, you all I think about. Uh, I wish I'd met you before, you, you rock my world, you know, they always right. most of ninety percent of them are gonna throw that at you sooner or later, especially after they get a picture. Right. <laughs> and then but he didn't. He what well he did, but not immediately, like most of them. He was, and he's smart. That's another thing that made him even yeah. scarier. Was he is freaking brilliant. He's no dummy. But you know, he was in gangs and always in jail, and he's got an eighth grade education, in and out of you know centers, twenty juvenile detention centers. So you know he he scared me. But then right up at the end, I was like, so yeah, um, I'm writing a book. And I'm going to put all these letters that you gave me inside this book. And isn't this great? Because everybody's going to know how smart you are and that, you know, your your side of this. He, he says he didn't do it. He says that it was right. the other three. And uh-huh. we're never uh-huh. no. But they all say that. They all blame it on each other. Right. One of them was a girl. Mm-hmm. So, you know. I talk, you know, I'm, I'm giving it my best shot. And he was like, absolutely not. And threatened me. He said, don't forget I was in this gang. And um, Nashville ain't that far from Chattanooga and Knoxville. Oh, jeez, no. Yeah, it it scared me. Because I'm always like, fuck it. You know, because everybody's like, do you put your real address? Well, hell yeah, they're in prison. You know, they can't cut me. What's going to happen? But that scared me. I got scared on that one. God, I bet. Yeah, especially if yeah. they're, you know, if they're attached to a gang, they got people on the outside. Right. Yeah, and because I had a little gal, one of his his gals got on on the blog and left comments on several of the of the posts about him, you know. And it, she wasn't so scary, uh, other than I knew it was coming from him, and he had her doing it. But she was saying stuff like, "I'm gonna get a cease and assist order on you," and I was like. 
bitch, come on and tell the assistance I can get. But right. so, eventually she took her shit down because I, I really, I gave her, I fucking bullied her to death on her English and stuff. But that <laughs> stuff did scare me, you know, I thought, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you never know. I still, I it, I scratch my head at why, why they chose those two people. Like, was it random? Was yeah. it like, I it's, mean. It's random because they were in that apartment complex and they had just stole a car from there the day before uh, and it was deep. It's, it's crazy. So they I mean. Yeah. Again. I don't know why they felt they had to do all that stuff to those people. Right. Yeah, for real. I mean. Now I can feel my insides jittering around when I think about what those two people went through. Yeah, five, four males and a female. Yeah, right. If you're gonna kill them, just kill them. Yeah, yeah. They made her drink bleach. Oh, I mean, oh. He, both of them were raped. Yep, tortured horribly. Horribly, horribly. She eventually suffocated inside garbage bags inside a trash can. Mm-hmm. While the rest of them oh partied around in there, I can't even imagine. Can't even imagine. No, it's horrible. That's one of the most horrible. And you know, I'm all about you know women prisoners, but at the time I got a hold of Lamericus because he was closest to me location wise to visit, and not the girl whose name was Vanessa. I can't remember her last name at the moment. But Holman. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's right. But um, in the long run, the more I heard about her, I was like, dang, I'm, I'm lucky I stuck with Lamaricus because I hear she is fucking something else. And supposedly, according to her, she did nothing. She mm-hmm. was just there. Well, that's just as worse, just as bad, if not worse. I mean, right. Yeah. Girl begging, Shannon begging and begging and begging for her life. And how can you just... Walk on by. And Wasn't that everyone's plea in the Manson murders? They're like, no, I didn't do it. I was just there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I went. I didn't do anything. Yeah, but you were there. Yeah, that makes you implicit in the crime. Exactly. Yeah, these guys, the thing is, is though, I mean, I, I'm going to sound old, but, I mean, these were kids that did this. You know? Oh, yeah. They were kids. Yeah, Americas, one of them was his half-brother. See, I would have looked all these names up I'd thought about it but Talvis, right yes that's his half brother okay. yeah that's the half brother yep okay and yeah, they, that's oh, how the God. night started they came him and vanessa came from another state to come down to steal the cars they were going to have a car stealing yeah. night or whatever of course yeah these guys are like legitimately like like these guys are gangbangers yeah. I mean, you got you don't have a name like Detroit, Rome, and Slim, and then just E if you're not, yeah. you know. Yeah. God, they were, I mean, I'm at least. Say that E, he was the one that was actually raping the gentleman when he killed him. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that he killed him while he was while raping him? he was raping him oh, off, on God. the railroad tracks. And, so and that came from America's. That shit, I mean that that story right there is one that that rocked me, and pe- people always ask me that what you know, and taking stories was one, and that was one. Yeah, you've seen <laughs> some shit. Oh yeah, I have. I really have. How did you get in touch with Richard Ramirez? Were you 
that you were going to write about Richard Ramirez, and then it kind of developed from there. He actually got in touch with me. Can really? you believe that? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. cool. This still fascinates yeah. me. This still fascinates <laughs> Shit, it fascinated me. I remember the first time he ever called me, I, I was like, I didn't know what to say. What do you say? I mean, now, How do you respond to that, though? I mean, <laughs> I had talked to people at that prison before, so when the recording came on, I was like, okay, cool, who's this? And then the voice, was, the name was muddled. And then he came on and said, hey, Kelly. And I was like, hey, <laughs> you know. Which one are you? And he said, you know who this is? Nope. And I said, no. And he said, it's Richard. It's Ricky. And nope. I literally shit my oh pants. My I mean, I just, uh, dab, dab, dab. I said, well, hey. And he said, well, I wanted it. We were talking about uh, religious books. And in the last letter he'd written me, and he wanted to know about this book called Illuminata. And I said, well, I'll tell you about it, you know, one of these days. And, uh. He said, I want to take you up on your offer. And I was like, oh, what was that again? Oh, my God. What did I offer you? But, there, yeah, he called a couple times, and we wrote for a couple years. Yeah. He wasn't all that scary, just to be flat out honest with you. I mean, I'm sure he was in his right. day. And And then the last conversation I had with him, he fucking scared the crap out of me. But other than that, like... He was pretty mundane. I think that's why his letters don't don't sell for that much. You know, like if you see people selling his stuff, you it's not like the John Wayne Gacy stuff and all that because he just became so odd. Yeah. Now, did you ever speak to Gacy? No, that was before oh, my I time. Although, it, yeah, I, I lived in Chicago when it was happening, though. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think I was like the fourth grade or right. something because I can remember – when we were getting ready for school, my mom would listen to the radio, mm-hmm. and that was always on the radio. All you know, I just remember getting ready for school, hearing about that wow. stuff. So you think asking my that mom, may have been something that spurred you to do this, or how did you get started? Yeah, probably because I mean that's one of my earliest memories, and I can remember Bundy getting electrocuted, wow. and even then I can remember mm-hmm. going. Why is everybody happy about this? It's still a person. Right. And I wasn't even, I wasn't even hip to really, you know, capital punishment sure. even or, you know, anything. I was really young and I just remember thinking, well, this is weird. Yeah. Like, why is there a party uh, happening that everybody should add, if not for one reason than another, but this should not be party, a fucking right, party. Right, right. No, I mean, not taking in all serial killers but someone who was killed in general i mean how far are we from that at any given moment it says one little push you know in the right direction is i think most people need and they'll get there i mean i I've, I've talked to people and they're like oh i'd never do that i'm like don't say that yes you would oh yeah someone hurt one of my kids your life no problem yeah or your own life some life of someone sure. you love, you'd be surprised what you can do. You'd be surprised what you will do without thinking <laughs> about it. Very oh, true. Yeah. yeah, there's you. You don't until you're put into a situation. I don't care what it is. You will never have a distinctive answer as to how you're going to react, even if you've dealt with something before. Like I've been in situations before where 
in my other lifetime, I throw down at the drop of a hat without thinking about it. Now I can be pushed to a certain extent and I've come to a position in my life where I can walk away gracefully yeah. or not so gracefully without want to kill a motherfucker. Right. So, right. But I was given, a fighter in my youth too. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <clears throat> but now it's like, do I want to mess up my hair? Does this bitch need to act that bad? Yeah, there's Just a lot that goes done. into it. There is. Like, there there is. is. Yeah, like my hip is going to hurt. Do I have know? to bring a mask? Yeah. Gonna... You know. Yeah, right? <laughs> there's this whole social distancing. It's hard to kill people with spikes and spears okay. these Sir, days. Sir, you're going to have to back right. up. I cannot kill you this close. <laughs> right. Where's my bow and arrow? Right. I knew those skills were going to come in handy eventually. And bullets or, are expensive. Or, you know. <laughs> yeah. You get fencing. You can kill somebody at six feet, I guess. Hey, you sure. talked about getting the, uh, I'm sure your your <laughs> the treasured gift of his of his uh, dick outline, but uh, I'm sure you've gotten quite a menagerie and museum now of odd things sent to you. Oh my goodness! Well, you know, <laughs> one of these days I'm gonna write it all down and make and just order it so it rhymes and just run it off like a rap. The twelve days of go. death row. Oh my god! That's right. Well, let's see. I don't even know where to start. I've got um, <laughs> a lot of handmade gifts mm-hmm. and stuff from the girls. You know, I got a lot of embroidery, self-portrait, stationery, um, uh, origami. I got a lot of origami. Um, I had uh, Angela Johnson. She's on federal death row. She sends me the most these beautiful handmade cards and then. She'll send me recipes like um, serial killer corn or, you know, like just <laughs> g- great names for these recipes. Things that she can make in jail with like jail oh food. God, and it's great. entertaining. Jail. One of these days I'm going to put it all together and put it on the blog or something for everybody can see it. But that's okay. hilarious. Um, and then Scott Hale, he cut his goatee off for me when he went to prison. I still got that. Oh, he sent, sent it to um, you? I got, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, that the the last time we spoke, that actually had me stopped in in my tracks. <laughs> I was like, "Huh." I was gonna find that son of a bitch and put it on Instagram and tag you just for your own do benefit. Oh, definitely should do that. Right. I think I know where it's at. I got some um, cards from him too, where he cut out like every heart out of a deck of cards for my Valentine's Day card. It's really Aww. cute. Who um, says killers can't be romantic? That's right. <laughs> Well, I knew him. He was a hometown guy that I knew before he became a cannibal murderer, so that I get special treatment from him. Right. That was but then, yeah. that was the one that's the one that threw me for a loop the last time we spoke because I put two and two together while you were talking. Oh. That's the one because I, I had heard a show talking about a woman who had been involved that they were trying to get in touch with. They wanted her information from her and I stopped and I'm like Motherfucker, that's Kelly. It's been Kelly the whole fucking time. <laughs> oh, and then that's, fucking that's Kelly. That's going to be the uh, topic of your next book, then, right? It is. It is. He. It's. Um. I don't know what I'm going to call it yet, to be honest. But I'm just finishing it, and it is. Um. It's a new field for me. It's true crime memoir, right. which is a whole genre unto itself. Huh. Which most people in it are like, you know, Keith Jesperson's daughter and the uh, BTK's daughter and 
some of the Manson people, you know, stuff like that. And I know BTK <clears throat> was one of your favorite people. Okay. <laughs> He's a little difficult. His daughter's awesome. Is she? Yeah. We're friends on Facebook, yeah. Back back to um, the weird things right. I've gotten from inmates. Oh, God. I've got a, a whole lot of drawings and um, stuff from Richard Ramirez. Mm. Um, and Dane Abdul. Ooh is such a good artist i think he's in florida and i think he's their uh longest no 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 he used to be their youngest death row inmate but now that's amelia carr Mm. but he set his pregnant girlfriend on fire on the side of the road yeah now that that's why now when you ask me if anybody may be innocent he I think he might be innocent. I mean, he did set her on fire. No, hear me yeah. out. Hear me out. Hear me out. That sounded really weird. But <laughs> they, they were like 16 or some crazy young age. And she was one of those girls, which a lot are not, you know, not disparaging her or anything, but she was very needy. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he wouldn't how teenage relationships sure. can be. And wouldn't let him be, and she she would claim to be pregnant every third day, and just one of those t- sorts of girls. And he did not handle it. He, he did not handle it well at all. So they were, he took, you know, they were out somewhere one evening, and she wasn't even supposed to be with him, I don't think. And um, she covered herself in lighter fluid and said, I'm going to kill myself, and went to strike the lighter. And he took it from her. And then oh. they were arguing, and he lit it, and he said she walked into mm. it. Oof. Now, I see that that could happen. And in my head, when I visualize that that moment, that argument between two kids like that, and her being the way that she was, and him being the way that he was, I see that that could, could have happened. What really got him on death row, I think, is the fact that instead of... Going for help, he left her there. Oh. And he said he panicked, and she was already dead, and he left. Yeah, I mean, how do you... He, how again, did he just leave her there? Right. How, yeah, no, 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 not, not how did he just leave her there. He, again, we go back to you cannot say what you would do in that situation. Right. You're a teenage kid. You're scared. Yeah. Right. Was it the best thing to do? No. However... It can be seen as, you know, this is a scared kid. A lot of people look at, you know, juvenile offenders and they automatically think that they're going to act like adults. Right. When adults right. act like children. Right. And he's from Trinidad and Tobacco. Yeah. So he didn't have the benefit, you know, of completely knowing exactly what was going on in court right. and what they were telling him, you know. And I, I just always wonder about that case, if they're ever going to do anything, if he will ever come off death row because of the age he was when it happened. Probably not. And you, he has been a model prisoner, never in trouble. He, you know, he improves himself. He goes in for all of the volunteer positions. And hmm. I don't know. I think they needs to give him life. Remind, say, oh. It reminds me of another one of your cases. And I'm going to try and remember for the life of me, what the, her name was. It was a female, and the person she was accused of killing, and I thought left on the side of the road, was a woman that may have actually, was it... Di- her babysitter, With Kimberly diabetes McCarthy. or something, maybe? Or, 
Yeah. 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 She is in that one. Now, here's one. I really, that's one, when I first started talking to her, I was 100% that Sprague was innocent. I was ticked off. I just knew she was freaking innocent, right? So, and that was a whole situation in itself right there turned into a damn soap opera because I was also writing to Darlie Routier at that prison who's been there for a long time, accused of killing her two sons. I do not think Darlie is guilty. Mm -hmm. I think Darlie is innocent. I really do. I think mm. she had, I think she's just, she's a, she's really media tried justice denied, really. I mean, her case is just ridiculous. But anyways, when I was writing to Kimberly, I'm getting more and more into her case, right? She's telling me people that she knew and I'm calling these people and they're not telling me what she thought they were going to tell me. So as my opinion on her is changing, she starts telling me, I can't, I don't know if I can write to you anymore. She tells me Darlie is like some sort of big boss bitch in there. Now, mind you, Darlie's like 5'3 or something like this. But, of course, I don't matter in prison. She's been there over 20 years. I think she might have be there 30 years at this point. Wow. So I imagine she probably is the bad bitch on the block, you know. But according to Kimberly... Darlie reads the mail. Everybody is subject to bring their shit to her. She goes through everybody's shit. They cannot talk on the phone unless Darlie says it's okay. Darlie has to approve everything they do. And this bitch was scared shitless of her. I mean, she she was scared. She was like, don't put any of my letters on the blog because if she sees it's me. She said she already found out somebody else in there was writing her writing me besides her, and she wanted it to stop. So that, that really turned into, yeah, that turned into a big hullabaloo. Darlie's mother called oh me God. pissed off. I wow. mean, they, she's like a queen up in there. How do you there. always end like, up the bad guy, Kelly? That. <laughs> I do. I always end up. Man, not too long ago, I wrote this blog about, um, dang, I can't remember the girl's name now. It's not a very well-known case. I want to see, the, the the victim, I believe her name was Andrea Zimmerman, but I can't remember who killed her. But it was this horrible situation where she wasn't even she was almost like the wrong person. You know, like she knew that this guy, but they weren't as involved as everybody thought. And she ended up getting killed by this broad and her mother. They ganked up on her and beat her to death. It was horrible over a dude, a little piss ass little right. dude. And. <laughs> I wrote the blog feeling so bad for this victim, and her sister cussed me out. Uh -oh. She what? gets on my Facebook page and goes, you're stupid bitch. You have this wrong, and that's not how they killed her. They And fuck oh, you. And I God. said, well, hey, I just used the police reports, but yeah, fuck me. You know, if you want to <laughs> tell me something that ain't in there, be my guest. And she goes, no, fuck you, bitch. I'm not giving you no information. You took money off my dead sister. Oh, I was like, well, this God. fucking. Wow. Anger yeah, money. right? It must run in the family. I was like, uh, uh, alrighty then. Wow. Yeah, you've seen it all, I, I think. <laughs> I think you've seen it all with yeah. with people, the good, the bad, yeah. the ugly, the great. Speaking of Amelia Carr, that was another one that oh, weird yes. shit happened with. Because she's like the youngest broad on, on uh, Florida Death Row, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she wrote me. I didn't even mm -hmm. write her. She wrote me and asked 
help. So I'm trying to get her stuff, what she needed, you know, because she's my family's broke. They can't afford blah, right. blah, blah. So I'm trying to get stuff together and send her what she needs. And um, there's another girl there named Tiffany. And she's done been taken off death row. I think she's got life now. But they were talking. And I guess that's how she found me. And I had put and I told her, you know, when you write to me, you're you're make sure you tell me if there's something, you know, if this letter don't need to go online, if this got personal shit in it, I'll keep it off or whatever. But no, right now, letters you send me go online. People right. see them. So, you know, it's a good two, three, four, five months after I done sent her shoes, fucking music, money for commissary, all this. And then, uh. Her aunt gets on my Facebook page and starts cussing me out. You, the story long. I'm like, bitch, where was you when she needed them shoes? You know, I mean, but I just blocked her. I thought, damn, I need cricket. And then I ended up quitting. (laughs) I just quit messing with Amelia at all. I was like, "Uh, sorry, baby, but your people is whack, and (laughs) I'm out. I cannot with this. Oh my lord. I don't got time Yeah. You don't appreciate it, piss off you. No, I have No good deed goes no, unpunished. Not ever. Now I have to ask you about your buddy Greg and how that came about. Cause I know you were very close to that, that whole event and to Greg and and uh Scott. Um how did what come how did we know each other? Yeah, yeah. Did you guys grow up together or? Yeah, I mean, we went through puberty together, I guess. I moved to Tennessee from Indianapolis when I was 15, and I went to school here my last two years of high school, and he was behind me. Mm -hmm. Well, my dad was a notorious figure around here. He grew up here, and... Was well known among the police, if you know sure. what I'm saying. So mm-hmm. he he had a lot of colorful friends, and it was through his friends that I made friends when I moved here, and that's you know kind of kind of how that mm-hmm. happened. We was probably sixteen, seventeen when we first became real good friends, and uh, like all good friends, we had it. We had a couple fights, and then I wouldn't talk to him for a couple right. of years, and and um. People around here, it would blow everybody's mind because, you know, like, I'm not a, believe it or not, I'm I'm not a real wild child, you know. I've, I've drank, I've smoked some sure. pot. That's about the extent that of it. That was my day you know? And then I got <laughs> off. Right? Well, that's, that's it. That's as exciting as Kelly gets, you know. Well, Scott was on the other end of the spectrum where, you know, and when I was a teenager, I wouldn't even hang out with those kind of people. I was like snotty. I'd be like, ew, you're a jughead. Right. And so, you know, I, I just wasn't that way except for Scott. And people would trip on that. Like, how are y'all friends? And it was that way all of our life. But he was, I got him. I understood him. You know, he wasn't as, he had this big reputation, like he was a devil worshiper and he was a bad, you know, he'd put a spell on you or he'd chop your dog up or, you know, he'd do something crazy <laughs> to you. And he, he was not like that. He was a big turd, you know. <laughs> big turd. <laughs> he had a big gut. He's balding by the time we were 22, 23, fucking a scraggly ass fucking beard. 
he drank too much beer and did too much dope. And he was a carny, and that's all there was to it. I felt sorry for him to an extent because he had blown his life up so many times. By the time we were in our 40s, you know, he, he didn't have a lot of right. friends left. The first time I got mad at him, uh, another friend of ours, Leanne, hi, Leanne. She, was at, she had come home from getting married and not, and then getting unmarried, and we were going to have a party, and Scott showed up with a bunch of other people. Well, it was cold and raining, and that's all it does in Tennessee in the winter. You might get a snow every once in a blue, but it was just raining. So we take out in the middle of the night, and mind you, this was the 80s, mm-hmm. and the closest gas station was about 15 miles away. We get there, me and Scott and these two other dudes. Well, we pull up at the gas station, and turns out the dude that was driving, it was his car. He was wanted. Mm. So they take him to jail with his car keys, and here's me and Scott and this other dude, Jimbo, and we're freezing our ass off outside the gas station. So... A car goes by honking, and start, Scott starts screaming, ah! He says, man, there's a ride. I got us a ride. And we're like, yeah. He says, hold on. Let me go over and make sure it's cool. He goes over, sticks his head in the car window, and then just kind of falls in, and they drive off and leave us out there in the cold. Oh. Oh, and we ended up walking like 12 miles before we even got a oh, ride. Oh, mad. So, that was the first time he pissed right. me off, and I didn't talk to him for good, like 10 years. And wow. the next time I ran into him, he had got drunk and ran off the side of the road and almost down the mountain. Mm. And I just happened to come across behind him and found him slid down this hill. So I kindly saved his life, you know, me. And uh, he was like, oh, let's be friends again, you know. And he was nice, so we did. We hung out quite a bit. He was around a lot. I was married at the time. He was friends with my husband. And uh, I, I, uh, I got a divorce. And he started getting really weird. He was doing a whole lot more uh, heroin oh. than I had ever seen him do before. Mm. And just getting really out there, you know. And there's, I believe it's still on Facebook, but he... He, uh, if you look at his Facebook page, there's all kinds of pictures of me and him and I chit-chatting and making crude jokes and, <laughs> you know, how people do. And that don't think that wasn't all over the goddamn newspaper when it broke. Right. But he just started getting really weird. But he made this Facebook page that was called That Is Mortis. Hmm. I didn't know what it meant. But it was stupid. You know, he had one of his, he was into horror movies and he had one of his horror movie masks on and he was like standing with a Sith or something. I don't know, dude, just something really stupid as fuck, right. you know? And I was like, what are you doing? And he, that's my alter ego. And it just got weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder ever after that, you know? Like he'd call me and I, he, he'd be broke down. And I'd go pick him up, and he just he would want to do nothing. He had a gro- he lived in the garage outside his mom's house, and he would just sit and just don't leave, don't leave. And, oh, he wanted to drink beer all the time. Milwaukee's best beer, oh, man. beer after beer. Beast. Yeah, I had to bring my own beer because the beast. That's right, Milwaukee's finest. So then he he would go back to the carnival. He said, "Well, that that'll help me. It keeps my mind off scary things, you know." 
And then it got to the point where I was, I, I got with the guy I'm with now, and we've been together seven years this year, and this was, I think, somewhere around the second, maybe towards the end of the first mm-hmm. year we'd been together. And as, as you could probably imagine what it'd be like, you know, if you had a new girlfriend and then she had this whack job fucking buddy that was always around. <laughs> it might be a little he, awkward. He wasn't super fond of him, but he wasn't rude to him or anything, but he would call me at weird times of night and need rides and or you know he'd, he'd come over crying or you know it was always something right. always always something towards the end there and then the day that it happened the night before he'd been sending me all these messages all night long i love you you're my best friend and see he had this real fascination with me and richard ramirez's friendship and that was like a bedtime story to him. It would calm him down. He'd be like, tell me about Richard. And I would tell him about Richard. And for his birthday, I had Richard write his autograph on a note card. And I gave it to him in a frame for his nice. birthday. But, I mean, he just got really weird. And then the next day, my boyfriend is from Minnesota. And he had people in from Minnesota. That's a big trip, right? Yeah. So we were going mm-hmm. to Nashville and show a big time we went going to this really fancy restaurant you know so i was not about scott that day i went to work for half the day and right when i was because i was planning on going home and primping and looking all fancy swanky so right when i'm getting off work who fucking calls me but scott i need a ride he was working at a uh like one of those pick and pull junk store places where you take your old cars oh, right. and they just like yeah yeah boneyard boneyard yeah boneyard yeah so I drove down there to get him, and he was walking down the road. And you know, when you look back on shit, how how weird stuff sticks in your mind, yeah. right? So I picked him up, and he was fuming. He was really pissed. And he gets in the car, and he's all ticked off, and he's cussing about. He 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 quit the job, which was par for the course. He quit like every job within a day as soon as he got paid. So, but he had a bunch of money, and he's like, we're going to get drunk, and we're going to the house. I said, we, hell, I got shit to do. Where do you want to go? So I'm driving him down the road, and he lived probably 15, 20 miles from where I picked him up at. But it was a good a good lick into the country. So he says, stop over here at this gas station and get me a case of beer and a lighter and some rolling papers. He couldn't go in because he got kicked, booted out for shoplifting the week before, and he was not allowed in the store. So I go in and I get his stuff. And the lady at the thing was like, I shouldn't even give this to you. I see Scott Hell sitting in the car. I said, just come on. You know, I'm trying to get him home. So I get in the car. And the only thing now when I think back on it is how bad he stuck. Oh, man. Like that is, I could almost smell it every time I talk about it because he smelled so bad. Yeah. That shit stayed with you. I mean, I still think I can still smell it. It was like the worst body odor ever. Uh huh. It had air conditioning uh-huh. on, so I I it's- rolled the window down, and he said, "I know I stink. Uh, why does this stick in my head? I don't know." He said, "I know I stink, but I've been walking, you know, for a long time." So we get to his house. Kelly, please stay. Kelly, please stay. I said, "Scott, I can't. I've got to go." I explained to him about Stephen. Got the people coming in. We had this big night plan. We had the reservations. It was very expensive. I tried to explain, explain, explain. Please, Kelly, please, please stay and have one beer. I said, okay. So I get out, go in, 
sitting there talking to him. He says, I don't want you to leave. He's saying stuff like, will you speak at my wake? Because this is the last day you're going to see me. Oh, I was like, God, shut it. up. Just shut the fuck up. Will you just stop? Drink your beer. You'll be okay. Yeah. He said, no, I'm going to kill my mother tonight. And then I'm going to kill myself. And that, oddly enough, is not the first time he said he was going to kill his mother or he wished he was dead. She's hard mm. to deal with. And so it kind of just ran off me. You know, I was like, yeah, yeah. You're not going to kill nobody. You're going to drink this suitcase full of beer, and you're going to pass out, and I will see you in the morning. And that's how this night's going to go. And he just kind of nodded his head. And he did take his pants off, though, and got in his undershorts. So I really did think that's how that night was going to go. So I go, get ready. I didn't hear from him. I thought, sure enough, he drank all that beer and was down for the count. Oh, we go to Nashville. Halfway through this swanky meal, I had about three pricey glasses of champagne. My phone is in my purse steady the whole time. And I knew, I knew that's something still. I wrote that in my diary the next day. I knew it was him. And I cut my eyes over at my boyfriend because I didn't want him being mad, but I knew he was. He's looking at my purse like, I'm going to kill that fat bastard. (laughs) (laughs) I get the phone out and look and one message said I'm going to do it and then the next one said I I found a girl and then the next one said I'm going to do it I'm not kidding and then one was like Kelly if you don't stop me I'm going to do it and that's the one that haunts me forever and then he said, I did it. And we were leaving at that time. So I got in the car and I said, you did what? No answer. I got sick. I had a pullover, threw up. I knew it. I knew in my heart at that minute that yeah. he did something. I knew he did. So we got home. I tried to call him. It was about two o'clock in the morning and no answer. I kept texting him, no answer. So the next morning, it was about 10 o'clock on a Sunday. No, it was, I think it was a Sunday. I, I texted him and I said, no, it was Saturday. Saturday. I texted him and I said, what happened? And he said, oh, nothing. Savannah took me to the liquor store and I got some vodka and I, you know, 151, something like that. I got really fucked up. He said, that's all. Um, can I borrow your backhoe? I said, well, borrow my backhoe. Everything's fine, is it? Hmm. <laughs> but, you know, I just wasn't feeling like everything was fine. And I said, what, you know, Scott, what, what happened? What are you going to, what, what happened there last night? Anything at all? Did you get into it with your mom? You know, he said, no, Kelly. And I said, what did you do? What did you mean when you said I did it? What did you mean when you said I got her here? And he said, I don't know. I was just fucked up. I didn't, I don't even know what I'm saying. I guess I I was just kidding. And I said, okay. And that message saved me from going to jail. Mm -hmm. The police told me that themselves, that I would have been in jail or at least been charged with something had he not said that. Yeah, for sure. Dodge the bullet on that one. And I did sort of be like, I still, uh, to the point it made me feel okay. I was like, 
all right, because it made sense. Right. If he went to the liquor store, God knows. And Savannah, <laughs> she's an old crack whore, so I'm like, right. I don't know where that night probably ended up, you know. So, all in all, I felt all right about it, but something was nagging. So, next day was Sunday, and I didn't hear anything from him, and then... The Monday morning, I was on my way to work, and I stopped. This is weird, you guys. Hear this. I stopped at um, Starbucks on my way to work. In the Starbucks line, my phone rings, and I look at it. It's from Scott. I try to pick it up, but it was dead. So I leave from there, and I go to the bank. And across the street from the bank drive-thru is a old, like, feed mill and there's an apartment on top and every time i sit in that bank drive-thru i always look at that apartment i don't know why mm -hmm. just something to look at it's directly across well we're open and this short fat dude with frizzy hair comes out and i'm like what is scott doing at this fucking apartment so i'm looking harder and he waves and i thought it was scott so i'm waving and i'm tooting the horn and then the uh -oh. dude steps into the sun it's not him and i was like that, <laughs> that's weird as shit so I get to work, set my computer up, open up everything, you know, open my office door. I pull the shades up, turn the TV on, and the news is on, and Scott's oh, picture is on TV. Yep. County oh. man eats a woman, kill murders oh, and eats shit. a woman. I said, oh, my God. Yeah. Yep. And I puked. My brother come running in there. What happened? And we just had a big event at the shop. My brother owns mm -hmm. an e-cigarette store he was the first one in the state and scott had, had helped us set up some bleachers and seats and stuff like two days before that his picture was all over our facebook page we were like damage oh control God. yanking shit off everywhere it was like three seconds oh. and police was at my work the news was outside my house my work everywhere it was awful so the day that it happened, as soon as I got home, Scott's mom come and she says, he wants to see you. I said, well, I, you know, what am I supposed to do? <sighs> God, this grosses me out thinking about it. But I went to go see him about a week later because that's the first time they would let me in. And um, our jail, uh, we got a new one now, but at the time it was like really similar to Mayberry jail. You know, I mean, there was nothing but some cells and a lobby basically was all it was. So, and I've been in there a gillion times, as you can imagine, with, you know, visiting every inmate in my family, much less, you know, working with people. So, I, and I was a probation officer for a while, so I'm pretty familiar with the the jail. So I go in and I know which phones work best, you know, so I go in and get the good phone and he comes out just looking like regular old Scott, right? And for a minute, I kind of, I kind of forgot what happened. I know that sounds weird as hell, but for like a second, it right. just felt like everything was regular, like everything was normal. Mm-hmm. And he starts talking to me, and I'm laughing at him, and he's like, you know, and Bonnaroo was about to yeah. come up, which is a huge music festival that's right here, five miles from my house. So mm -hmm. he's like, well, you got to go with somebody else, and 
and we laughed, you know, and he's got tickets to Alice Cooper and he's like, give them to so-and-so, you know, and go to my house and get this and you can have this. And, but it didn't seem like anything was different. It felt normal. And then I don't know what happened guys, but like in the middle of us talking, like it just dawned on me. I was like, Oh God. And I started shaking really bad. And he put his hand up to the glass and I put my hand up next to the glass. And I said, what did you do? And he said, I just drank too much. He said, I'd never done it if I hadn't drank too much. And he said, Kelly, she walked right up to me in the liquor store. She just walked right, right. up to me. And he didn't know her, but she was a transient alcoholic type and just oh. partied with the wrong person. So I asked him, you know, because at this point, very little was out the news or anything and so i said did you eat her and he he held up his his fingers like his finger and his thumb like a to say like a right. little bit you know what i mean and he just he hmm. did that and then he hmm. he pointed at the camera and then he pointed at the phone and then he made that little bit again and kind of screwed his nose up and shook oh, his head man. like just a little you know and that was that was probably the weirdest conversation yet. <laughs> he ended up, I went to all of his court proceedings. He pled guilty, although he wasn't going to. He wanted to take it to trial because there were some mm -hmm. extenuating circumstances. He, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of weird stuff to yes. it. I guess you can read my book when it's done. But he... he yes, please. There, <laughs> When I spoke to the sheriff, the investigation was almost mishandled. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if Scott knows that or not. But he, in the words of the sheriff, he said, I had a stupid investigator and a new investigator. And they almost mm -hmm. cost me the case. So they threatened Scott with his son. His son's name is Odin, and he lived in the house, too. And the, as far as the sheriff told me, he still oh, wow. thinks Odin had something to do with it. Huh. Odin, very well. But I don't, I just don't think, I don't think so. I mean, according to Scott and his parents, both his parents and Odin were in the house all night long, and they, you know, Scott and, and the, his victim, Lisa, mm. partied outside by the fire pit, so I don't know. But years later, I guess about three years later, he was convicted, and he's in prison now. And we, we continued to talk pretty, pretty regularly, and I sent, you know, I would send him money. I'd gather his friends' money up and send to him, and I visited him pretty regularly. And then um, we got in an argument because he sold some of his drawings to mm. a murderabilia collector. And I was on fairly decent terms with a few of them at the time. So I started asking around who had this shit and found out who had it. And when I went to go look for it, one of the things he had up for sale was a letter from Scott where he is complaining about oh. me not sending him enough money and my full oh. name is in it. Oh. And I, my fucking mind. Yeah. I came unglued on him and we have not since. It's been a good, 
I want to say 2016 yeah. or 17 is the last yeah, time I talked to him. I'm going to write this book. He told me from the beginning right. to write it. He knew I was writing yeah. it. So he knows how to get I don't in know touch what's with you. As far as yeah, he does yeah. indeed, as do his parents, as yep. do his kids. And the one thing that struck me, you know, I was talking to the, the husband of his victim. And in court, when he was sentenced, the victim's husband stood up. His name's Charles. He stood up and had no malice for Scott at yeah. all. He wished him well. How did he say? I mean, it was amazing. It was so wow. wild. And wow. I talked to him about it, too. Yeah, he said, you know, she was a mess. And apparently he was a mess. So, you know, God knows what really and truly happened because Scott says she wanted to die. And according to Maybe him, the husband, she did. That's why she was. Yeah. Yeah. She did ask is what he said. Wow. And he said they were playing a sex game and she wanted to be strangled out. And she said she would tap out and she never tapped out. It's plausible, though. And yeah, no, said, she tapped out forever. That's possible. And he said that once she was dead, he said he always wanted to taste human meat. So he did because she was dead anyway. So, you know, maybe if he had just jumped up and called the police right away, right. he'd be sitting over here next to me with his natural ice, but, or Milwaukee's best. But being as though shit went the way it did. And then there's always the letter that he sent me about four years into his sentence where he told me he killed girls while he was on the carnival circuit. Oh, boy. And I told the police about that. They were like, whatever. He's in jail. So, uh, whatever. Yeah. Huh. You know how it was. It was like, yeah, it's awful, but, uh, he's in jail for life, so fuck it. Wow. Yeah. What uh, about the justice for them? Right? Yeah. If it even happened, that's what they say. They say, I don't think. The one investigator, the one that he, the sheriff called the, the young one, the new one. With the text of, I did it, I finally did it, I'm going to do it, it sounds like a first attempt, but then you you never know. He doesn't believe that he killed anybody else. He thinks it's just for show. Does he? Yeah. Mm. And he's, God thinks he's getting out. He truly does think he's getting out. Yeah, he does. <laughs> He'll never see the light but of day. That's how I talked to him. And see, he when he went to prison, he sent me everything. Everything. All the court transcripts, all the police reports. Everything. So I've got all of that. I had to write the book, not to mention I was in it. You know, I I started to write this when it first happened. And I wrote a book proposal and I gave it to, uh, I probably shouldn't say her name, but she's a a really popular true crime author currently. And she looked at it and she said, you've got a story. You definitely have a story. This is a book. But... Your writing is weak, and I think you should let me write it no. for you. No. <laughs> <Right>. No. No. <laughs> and she told me that I was going about it wrong. She did help in that respect, though, because uh, right. she told me, you know, this is a, a different genre. I was, If I was going to write it the way I intentionally started writing it, I, sh- I would have to leave myself out of it. But I felt like I had a good perspective, you know, to give. Yeah, you uh, you ran on the front line. Yeah, absolutely. I hope that's the way people look at it, and I hope people don't look at it and go, uh, "It's a you know her 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 
grasp at fame or whatever, but you could exploit Richard Ramirez out the wahoo and you don't. Yeah, so I anybody mean, that knows you and knows your writing, that's not the way they're going to see this book. I hope not. I hope you're right. <laughs> I yeah, can't wait to get a, an no. early copy so I can read it. Definitely get an early copy. Right. I I just want people to know, you know, it's it very yes, it can be your neighbor that you mm-hmm. have lived next door to for seventeen years. Yes, it can. Right. Yeah. And I want people to know that hey, that yeah. friend of yours that has been falling apart at the speed of light this past month, go ahead and get all off in their business. Do shit you wouldn't normally do, you know, because I didn't. Yeah. I I just thought it was another, another one of his antics. And I wish now I skipped that fancy yeah. dinner and sat in that stinking garage and drank nasty beer, but I didn't. Yeah. But you know what? Yeah. You can say that and, you know, and be, you know, sincere about that. But, at the end of the day, if this was something that was going to happen, it was a matter of when. It was you know, you happen. may have been able to waylay it, right. waylay it this time, but who knows what would have happened, you know, a month down the road. A few hours after you left, he could have went out skulking looking for somebody. Right. You know? He did yeah. seem to be determined. That's it. Absolutely. But did that answer your question, Gary? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll touch on one more, and I know it's getting late, and I'll let you go. you got 10,000 other things to do than to sit here. But um, on your uh, on your blog, Woman Condemned, one of your most recent posts was about uh, Whitney Gray and the Howell Garden yes. uh, apartment murders. Yes. Can you talk a little bit Thank about that? Thank you for bringing her up. Poor old Whitney. I mean, I'm always misconstrued when I say that kind of stuff, but damn it, man. This girl was from Oklahoma. She was raised well. She did good in school. She had dreams. She was headed towards them. She was working hard. She got a degree. She moved to Nashville to be with an old friend to start a business. And as soon as she got to East Nashville, she met a guy and got hooked on heroin. Both of them were young. He was, you know, he was in his 20s as well. He, But he was a, an established addict, let's put it like that. And he had been, you know, he had musical aspirations, but that all went down the toilet. He and, uh, and Whitney started dating, and it was only weeks before he'd introduced her to heroin. And she told me. That since she had been in East Tennessee, so many people around her was doing it, and she saw some people that were doing it once a month and, you know, carrying on with their life and had successful careers. And so she thought, well, that'll be me because I'm so driven and smart and, you know, how many other people think this? And it wasn't her. And she ended up living, what, what was his name? Griswold, something Griswold. Um, she ended up living with him in the Howe Garden Apartments with another couple, and they were um, addicts as well. They were the dealer's supplier, I guess. And Whitney okay. and Griswold became indebted to them, some some of, say, seven dollars $800, mm. I think. Oof. Whitney claims that she doesn't believe or uh, remember most of that week. Because they were so high, but right. they decided 
that, you know, because fights were happening and, you know, it was getting really tense around the apartment. So they decided that they were going to kill. I can't. Do you, Gary, do you know the victims' names? I hate talking about a crime without the victims' names. I can't read. You know, I have it here, I believe. Let me see. Gosh, I can't remember what their names are for life. I mean, I thought I had them in my notes. For me. But. But. Whitney Gray. Okay. I'll find it. See, they decided to kill him. So around 10 o'clock, I believe it was in the morning, he took a music stand and she took a hammer and they snuck in this couple's bedroom, each on the other side of the bed. And she says the one thing that she does remember is staring across the expanse of the bed and looking at him and him nodding to her. And she said it seemed like that bed was a mm. million miles long. Mm. But as soon as she, wow. he nodded to her, she said she just closed her eyes and started swinging the hammer. And they killed the, the couple over the tug bed. Oh and goodness. she said they went in the next room. And while they were in the next room, she could hear them breathing. She swore she could. Now, whether she could or not. You know, it could have been drug-induced, or maybe it was just blood death rattles or what have you. But he went and went back in and cut right. their throats. And um, then she went to work. Just went to work. She did. She was. Oh, I have it here. It's uh, Preston Claybrooks Jr. and Alexandra Grubbs. And they had a child together. So, yeah, Whitney got up and went to work a couple hours later. She got ready for work and went to work. And um, they put the bodies in the closet and then put some, they wrapped them in their their bed clothing and put them in the closet on top of each other and then put uh, mattresses and towels and, and blankets on top. Then they took the bloody mattress and took it into their room and put towels and sheets on it and slept on it and destroyed their own mattress. Now, why? What the fuck? Mm. Yeah. I, I don't know. But anyway, that's what they did. And they were in the process of deciding what they were going to do with these bodies. And it had been, I think, a good three, three days, four days. And Preston's mother started getting worried he hadn't called her and he called on the regular plus she kept their their daughter so she came looking for him and reportedly she smelled bodies from the hallway of the oh apartment. yeah you'd have to oh after three so, days and one thing and so um she called the police and one thing that puzzles the shit out of me about this is the police came they had reason to believe of course that something was going down so they went in the apartment and began searching and found the bodies three hours into the search. It now, wouldn't the, three hours? the first damn place you need to look if you were the cops? Like, Follow right. the smell. What's in the closet? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, but that's the one thing that really throws me for a loop about this is why the closet wasn't the first place they looked. But anyways, they eventually found the bodies and went searching for... Whitney and Griswold and 
found them at a homeless camp. They had packed a bag and just left the mm. apartment earlier that day and were staying under a bridge with a homeless guy. Wow. And they were picked up there under the bridge. And Whitney went willingly and spilled her guts almost immediately. She was just glad to be over. over yeah. You know, she she had apparently t wanted to turn herself in already and he wouldn't mm. let her. So, I mean, I really wish that would would help her in some way but yeah. it does not and anybody i've talked to that knew her that's another case where you know if she had not tried heroin she would right. be a small business owner yeah. right now in Asheville. Mm. so that's a testament boys and girls Drugs you know i mean and if i'm 50 i'll be 51 in a couple of days and still, yeah, I'm like, drugs are bad, kids. You know, and it just, it still floors me. Yeah. Yeah. The I, damn it that it do. Next month so, will be 25 years clean. That's right. I forgot about that. So, I mean, I was, uh, I'm, uh, during active addiction, I was a functioning addict. I got up and went to work every day. I did what I was supposed to do. I was wrecked all the time, but I was a functioning addict. And I could understand where, you know, when, when you said she got up, went to work, I'm like, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. Because that's yeah. the one routine that's constant. Right. You know yeah. you have to get up to make people perceive you as normal. Mm -hmm. But everyone that, that knew her before said she was just a workaholic, a go-getter. Yeah. When she had mm -hmm. a goal, she... So yep. I guess some things stayed with her, but not enough. No. Yeah, unfortunately. So now it's not it's not only... It's not only four people's lives ruined, two from murder, and then a child left behind. Not to mention the families of these people that are left mm -hmm. behind. Oh, Definitely. Yeah. That's for sure. Of all these uh, people I have known, I have known only one woman that's gotten off death row and been freed. Mm. And that was Michelle Byram. I started writing to her in the 80s. She was in Mississippi on death row for the murder of her husband. Supposedly, she had put her son up to it. So I started writing to her. No, I started writing to her in 2000-something. Mm -hmm. Maybe four, three, something like that. It was, it was early. And uh, she was, you know, she told me I didn't do it. My son got tired of me being abused, and he was, a, you know, it he was an abuser. It was in all the records. He, you know, she'd been in the mm. hospital, and that was no. She was in the hospital when he was killed. Huh. He had uh, fed her rat poison, and it messed her guts up. Yeah, he was. Mm -hmm. He was a mean, horrible man. And um, she said her son just got tired of it and killed him. But the police said that she put him up to it. So we wrote for a decade, and what really kept us close was. Strangely enough, she was from Murfreesboro, which is 30 miles north of me. Wow. So I would take pictures for her, you know, and she enjoyed that. And she'd always make jokes, I'm going to get out of here one day and I'm going to be your nanny because I had six kids. <laughs> I said, yeah, okay. And then in 2015, I got a phone call from Refinery29. Is that what they call it? That magazine? Or they make documentary refinery 49 i shit i can't remember it's a really <laughs> popular magazine anyways they called me up and were like 
how are you dealing with your friend Michelle being out of prison? And I was like, my friend Michelle? Uh, what? Who? You know, I mean, I really didn't know because I hadn't talked to Michelle in about like three years or so. She got sick with cancer and I thought she died. And then, yeah. damn it, man, they let her go. Huh. And she lived just up the road from me. And uh, it was weird, but um, we didn't talk long because, I mean, I took her out to lunch a few times and she wanted me to write her book. She gave me all of her stuff, you know, from jail and everything. And we talked for a while, but she had been out of circulation for so long that she did not know how to behave. And I'm not kidding. Oh, like she would spam me with emails and text messages just over and over and over because she didn't get yeah. it, you know, like. She just didn't get it. And she would say the most outlandish shit. <laughs> I mean, it, it was just really weird. And she eventually died of of breast cancer. But I think the yeah, point of that last was. last year. I, was it last year? I thought it was yeah, year January before. Yeah, January 25th, 2019. Oh, wow. uh, that's why I thought it was a year before because it was early mm. in the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm going to say it was one summer. I was sitting over at her brother's house with her, and <clears throat> we did a snap together, a snapped mm-hmm. episode of Snap from her, and um, it was after that, and we were talking about the episode of Snapped, and they were going next to visit her son, you know, and I and they didn't talk, and I said, why don't you speak, you know, are you, it's not his fault, you know, that the police did this to you, and she was like, I don't know. Now we just we're we're taking it easy, and it wasn't too long after that another one of their family members got a hold of me and told me that Michelle was lying. She actually was the mastermind behind her husband's murder mm-hmm. and blah blah. And by this point, she was sick already, and I thought, what you know, what's it gonna? Should I confront her? No, I don't care. The guy was an asshole anyway. Right. Apparently, if his own son wanted to kill him, so I never pursued that any further. But. Wow. She may have been guilty. Wow. Well, she made it out. She made yeah. it out. Yeah, but she wasn't exonerated. They didn't say, hey, my bad, yeah. you know, but she got out. I guess, you know, there was because her son had helped her eventually and because she was sick. I was going to say, you think they might have let her out as a good look? Right. Like, you can't yeah, have the first woman on of, death row die there. Right. Like I said, you have seen yeah, it all, Kelly. <laughs> it's hard to believe. <laughs> it's hard to believe it is. The first time I did um, the show with Lobo and Ro, mm-hmm. I got a bunch of emails, people saying, you sound so sweet. And one of those, uh, that's where I think the first time somebody called me like a Elvira Ellie Mae or something like that. <laughs> yep. Was, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, it was something along those lines on Twitter I got, and uh, that's brilliant. But you really it's are. Just, you are a sweet, yeah. sweet person. And you, you're, you're not just writing these people out of a sick fascination. You're helping them. You're doing things for them, making sure they have what they need. And right. Yeah, we're out of time, I guess. But next time we should talk about uh, Joseph Duncan. That's a whole damn show on its own, right there. I think me and you have talked about him let's, before, uh, haven't we? Yeah, Hello? let's schedule yeah. that. Let's yeah. do that and just spend a whole whole show just on him. Yeah, awesome. I'd love to talk about that. Love that. 
That is crazy. Don't eat before you'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> I got a pretty strong stomach. Even better. <laughs> no, that'd be great. Yes, that's and a terrible. Thank terrible. you for coming on, Kelly. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me, and I really appreciate your interest. Oh, for sure. And is there anything you'd like to plug before you go? Um, me and all mm-hmm. my books. You can find me on Amazon or at R.J. Parker Publishing for the time being. You can find my blog at thewomancondemned.com. And I'm also on YouTube at thewomancondemned.com where you will find a lot of actual letters Mm. and some of the things that they've sent me. I have a few videos with my little trinkets galore. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. And I have a Patreon, yes. so you cannot miss me. You can't swing a dead cat. <laughs> well, perfect. And I'll put a lot of this in the show notes as well, so they can just find it right there. And uh, I look forward to having you back, oh, Kelly. Great. But uh, good luck with everything. Stay safe out there, and uh, we'll talk soon. You too, guys. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care, sweetie. All right. Take care. There have always been strange, dark rumors surrounding the decaying property. Rumors horror novelist Philip Loeb believes could serve as the perfect inspiration to restart his career. The more intertwined Loeb's life becomes with the decaying's, the more he realizes there is far more to the family than the rumors have led people to believe. The Family Decane from the mind of Christopher Hall, a new horror classic is born. Available in Kindle and paperback at Amazon. Them. Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree to that. You know, I, it's just the right circumstances, the right things come together, and any of us could be these. You know, maybe we're not putting a bag over someone's head and hitting them with a hammer, nope. but if they raped one of my daughters or oh, killed one it. of my kids. Forget it. I'd have no problem putting a pillowcase over their head and no. beating it. No, I look sideways. At, with I look sideways at someone when they take a scoop out of my ice cream. So, I, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, That's accurate. Really, it wouldn't. I mean, if yeah. it's my kids or my wife, there's all bets are off. I, don't, I will. I will yeah. butcher you. But tell me how you won't wear a mask. I will shoot you if you call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want to? You think yeah. I'm disrespecting your wife? No. Go ahead and no. say so, something. Someone's going to get bludgeoned over a, the last box of Fruit Loops in one of these days coming up. Oh yeah, and absolutely, absolutely. It's crazy. I can't. I, it's crazy. The st- I was just telling my wife. I was at the grocery store for my, you know, my uh, weekly run of. Uh, I hope I don't die. And I, yeah. the stuff that's at the stores that's like missing. From the from the stores baffles me. Like oh, I know. there's it's stuff so that like and random. Yeah, like I, I'm I'm sorry. Um, I didn't know that salt pork was something that everybody needs right now. You know, right. <laughs> there's plenty of Taylor ham or pork roll, but salt pork's all gone. Suddenly, it's 1864. Yeah, like really, I expect these people to roll up and ask for the ingredients for hardtack. Hardtack. <laughs> it's uh, it's salt, oh. and flour. And- water and it's so bad it tastes it's so, so bad. bad it's like a hatred it cracker is. 
And then that, that salted beef that they would have oh. was almost a blue color. Oh. And you would have to dunk it in water and squeeze it out. Yep. Dunk it in water and squeeze out. Get fresh water, dunk it. Oh. And you have to keep rinsing it to get the, all the salt out of it. And it's, then you have dysentery. And, well, that's a different story altogether. Yeah. Though. But, I don't have time between dysentery to eat this here hardtack. Oh, God. You figure if you had dysentery, hardtack would be the solution. Because that shit's got to bind you up. It's got to. Oh. And I've had it, and I've made it. Oh. And I have a uh, an original Civil War era uh, cutter no for kidding. it. No kidding. You can just put that in there. But every once in a while, when I was doing reenacting, I would treat people, and I'd make sugar cookies, but use the cutter. Yep. So it would kind of look the same as hard tack, but taste a hell of a lot better. Oh, that's good. I'd have given them then, of course, you know, <laughs> the public would add, oh, what is that like? Oh, do you want a piece? And then I'd pull out the real piece and break it off to them. Oh. Like, it's good stuff. Enjoy that. You'll be chewing that for at least an hour. Oh, yeah. That stuff's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. But, yeah, the stuff. That's, that's, that's all we'll have left at the store eventually, that and healthy food. That's the other thing. Like, I... I get it. Everybody needs food. But uh, even during this time of uncertainty, no one wants vegetarian <laughs> food. Nobody. No, it's, it's, it's torn up at my shop. Right? Really? You can't get anything. Yeah. Oh. And all, But yet all the produce will be there except jalapenos. Yeah, dude, that's the strange thing. Like you go down the aisle and anything that is a cured sugar or... Like, processed is gone, but I can get gone. 500 pounds of grapes. I mean, <laughs> right. You know? And there's lots of lots right now still of meat. And even before the whole shutdowns of the meat processing places, I'm just like, uh, I don't know if I want fresh meat. I yeah. don't know. A thousand people have sneezed on that by the time it gets to me. Yeah, I want stuff that's been flash frozen and cold for a very long time. <laughs> for a very long time, exactly. Even what meat I did bring home, I immediately just went right in the freezer. Oh, God, yeah. There's no. Uh, the yeah. days of fresh meat are gone. Gone. Unless you're there, you know, yeah. killing it yourself and it's not your roommate or anything, you know. It's not, put, I mean, even it's not in the realm. <laughs> right. But thanks for coming on, Lobo. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll get you back on here as do some kind of a show again soon in the next few weeks. I'm honored. Figure something out. Yeah, man. Uh, it's, it's just bizarro, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's fitting. Half the time it's like, hello, is this on? Hello, anyone out there? But, but you know. Yeah. Oh, it'll yeah. get there. I'm only on like, like 12 episodes in <laughs> for this seems like it's been a lot more but i think really it's only been like 12 episodes yeah it's you haven't had many i know that uh no no you do have to get um you got to get on spotify i don't know how you're going to do that but you got to get on there i don't yeah i can't remember if i'm on there i think i looked into it and then it was one of those google rigmaroles where you had to have rewrite all this information into your rs feed ah and I didn't know how to do any of that. And I'm like, oh, I'll figure it out. I'm on iHeart. <laughs> yep. iHeart Radio, Apple. Stitcher. Stitcher. Yep. Um, you can call me up through Alexa. Yep. Uh, what else am I on? Um, if you Podbean. have a Plex movie server, Podbean. Yep. Uh, ones I've never even heard of, you know, like Bluecast and <laughs> things like that. I'm like, what the hell is Technical this? Like, Would you like to... 
would you like to claim this podcast? No, no, not really. <laughs> Great. <laughs> right. Hard pass. Yeah, but I have, uh, this is the second in three I'm doing this week. So I had uh, awesome. Maja Dau, the uh, Witch of the Dawn from L.A. yesterday. Cool. And Kelly today, and then I am I'm interviewing my mom. That's going to be awesome. Day. That is going to be fantastic. Yeah, I, I, we had breakfast today. You know, you have to go pick it up and then sit in a Coles parking lot and you know, to eat <laughs> breakfast nowadays. Sure. <laughs> but uh, I was just going over the questions with her because I had like the whole list of questions. I'm like, you know, it's okay to say no, I don't, or no, I don't even know how to answer that, or I'm not telling you that. And I'm like, you also don't have to pander me and make me your proudest moment, you know. <laughs> What's your proudest moment? She's say, like, say you're proud of me, mom. Like, please, I need this. Right? She's like, when I had you, I'm like, and it was all kind of a letdown after that, right? Wow. <laughs> wow. You put a washed up podcasting son. That's hilarious. I had such but, high uh, for you, boy. <laughs> I know. I'm asking. She she dated. I mean, obviously long before me, but she dated this guy who was like seven and a half feet tall what? my mom's five foot yeah holy so I'm, i had to ask her about that and she talks about those things it's uh it should be a pretty fun just talking about uh comparisons with the polio epidemic and living through world war Two and her dad coming home and so i think it'll be good it'll be a good mother's day episode awesome so and then i'm then you know i don't know what else i'm doing <laughs> It'll be all a surprise after that. Surprise! Bizarro! But uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Again, if you want to help out the show, leave a comment or subscribe. You know, I uh, the, I know you people don't know how to use the interwebs. <laughs> I, I'm getting this as a general thing from my listeners. Get on your but, Google you know, machine. I, I have a listener in, in the – I have listeners in the Philippines. Yeah. Well, uh, your your Newark Delaware asses can figure out how to get Podbean. <laughs> I, these these people have to be making like a Vietnam era radio thing, you know, to get my podcast in Manila. No, it's probably not that bad, but yeah, I mean, but you know, Israel, Denmark, you know, all these <laughs> odd places. And but thank you everyone who's listening out there. And look, they can figure it out. Why are Americans so dumb? Because we're a bunch of knuckle dragging troglodytes. That's why we are. <laughs> knuckle-dragging troglodytes. Oh. And whoever is listening in Denmark, if you have an extra room, you seem, uh, people seem happy there. Um, if uh, you want to let it out to me, I'll uh, <laughs> gladly move to Denmark. There you go. But, Lobo, thank you, and I'll be in touch. We'll do this again sometime, and everyone stay safe out there. And uh, leave a comment, leave a rating. It helps. It helps the show because it's all about me. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everyone, and thank you, Lobo. Thanks, and, bro. Uh, we'll see you next episode. Got it. Survival guy.
got no diamonds, broke boy. Got nothing in my wallet. Spend all my green on the 